A good near Shabbos to our members and friends of the Westmount Shul. This coming Shabbos is Parsha's Shalach, and arguably uh, Parsha Shalach is one of the most difficult and sad Parshas of the Torah, for it discusses the events of the spies and the Jewish people accepting the lush and horror about Eretz Yisrael and how they were doomed to stay in the desert for 40 years and how that all occurred on Tisha B'Av and the Jews who cried for no reason then would bring crying for generations to come on Tisha B'Av. Although Tisha B'Av is still uh, more than a month away, Still, by learning this Parsha now, perhaps we could be more prepared for solutions when we come to Tisha B'Av. And there, everyone discusses the famous question on this Parsha, that it's a great wonder how they could make such a terrible mistake and also to lead astray the Jewish people. That when Hashem has already promised many times the Jewish people will come to Eretz Yisrael and defeat their enemies. And that was the original promise that Hashem made for Avram and, and therefore what he made when they left Egypt. Yet they all made a mistake and uh, the whole congregation raised up their voice and cried and Rashi says on the words, Kol Ha'eda, the entire congregation, even the Sanhedrin, the highest courts, said that, Oi, we're not going to be able to do this. And the people said, We'll not be able to ascend. Ki humimenu. And the Medrash says, Because they are stronger than Hashem even. That even the Balabais can't take things out of there. So you have to understand, like, what's going on? How could they believe that? And a lot of people talk about it. And the truth is, if you go through the Sfarim HaKadoshim, uh, they have one a very good uh, approach. And it's interesting, the Chavetz Chaim also has this approach. So this approach seems to be a widely accepted one. And you may have heard answers similar to this. But I'm going to go with the Mahalach of the Chavetz Chaim, who just adjusts things a little bit uh, in his way, and you can find it in the three-volume Chafetz Chaim HaChadosh, which isn't so Chadosh anymore. It's been around, I don't know, 15 years, maybe 20. So, uh, and he says, if we look carefully, the mistake of the spies is found even with us. And that's why it's important for us to study this story, and therefore we can get great messages from this. So let's go through this story a little bit. Be a little bit like a Parsha class, but not as long. But we'll see what the main Nakuda comes out of here. It's a beautiful idea. When Moshe told the people, see the land, what is it? And Rashi explains, there are certain lands that raise people to be strong, and there are others that raise them to be weak. There are certain lands that can raise lots of people, and some only a little bit. Find out if the land is uh, very fertile or not, bring back fruits. The understanding is if the fruits are big and good, it's a good land. And if it has a lot of people and people who are strong, it's a sign that the air is a good air. That's why I know, is it a good, is it a good environment over there? Now that is all, had you understand it, 
for someone who believes in the promises that Hashem said he's going to give us the land. And when Hashem says it, he means it. And that's what, see how good the land is. I want you to see it's an amazing land. See it for yourself. And one who goes in with that attitude that we are going to get it without a doubt, that's what you would be looking for and that is what you would see. But if somebody says that if there's going to be strong people in all these things, and a lot of people, you're going to say, well, I don't know, maybe we need great merits on our own. That we're all tzaddikim and kadoshim. And then the promise will come true. So, but if not, if we're not so meritorious, then what are they really seeing? If you're seeing a lot of people and strong people, then that very virtue of the land of Israel that raises people to be strong and healthy and, 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 and very many, that virtue could be seen as a flaw. Why? Because they're too strong for us to overcome them. So this is the issue. And this is one of the, the great tricks of the Yetzirah. It either gets you one way or the other way. Sometimes a person's doing everything right, and the HR brings us to become arrogant and to say, oh, I am a very God-fearing person. I mean, I'm someone that God loves. And he's arrogant about it, and we know that God finds that abominable person to be arrogant before Hashem. Ah, and the opposite. Let's say a person's coming to a situation that's for the honor of Hashem. And uh, so what does he do? He says, well... He gets, uh, he gets depressed. He says, you know what? I'm not good enough for this. It's got to be holier people can do this. It's a great thing, but too bad I can't. I'm not a leader. I'm not a tzaddik. And then you you start remembering things. You remember certain averis you did. And even if you do tshuva, the Yetzir only reminds you of your averis and not of your tshuva. That's where the HR is. If you're really doing something great, he's going to make you a Balgaiva. And when a great thing is supposed to be done, the person says, who am I to do it? I'm not that great. Hashem will not bless what I'm doing. And that's what the Yetzir did with the Meraglim. He got them to think they would take great merits to conquer the land of Israel. And people like that, that just recently, hasn't been that long, we sinned with the Chet Eagle. We sinned by complaining about the road. We sinned that we lusted for meat. Even Miriam sinned by speaking Lashon Hara. And people like this, we need a lot of merits. And only with a lot of merits can we overcome this. And we don't have them. I. What about Hashem's promise? Oh, no, no. He only promised it for people who are worthy and we're not worthy. Ah, you did tshuva. It's, for example, on the Chet Egel, Pirkin Rebelezer says, on the last of the 40 days when Moshe was on the mountain, all the Jews were fasting and they knew that he was going to come down on Yom Kippur and they all came and they greeted Moshe when he came down with tears in their eyes. And Moshe said, you've been forgiven? But that they don't remember. They only remember their sins. And they, then they, then the, the spies come back and say, we came to the land you told us to go to. Yes, it's a land of flowing of milk and honey, and here are the fruits. But the people are very strong. There are giants. And they said, if we want to win, we need great merits. 
We need merits like we have with Moshe Rabbeinu in the past. But remember in Parshas Baloscha, Eldad and Medud prophesied that Moshe is going to die and Yeshua is going to take us in. So we don't, we're not going to have the great leader Moshe and we don't have the merits ourselves. And more than that, they said that Amalek is in the south and the, and, and the Chiti, the Yavusi, the Amori, they're in the mountains, etc., etc. So we need a lot of merits for this, even the people on the boundaries, before we come into Ereshesol. We don't have any of that. Now, explains the Shemi Shmuel. So, they were right. They were right. They were absolutely right. So if they're absolutely right, what was the problem? So the Shemi Shmuel adds, you're right. But had they had Emunah and Hashem and said, even if we don't have the merits, but you know what? Hashem told us to do it. And we will get in. That's what he said. Then in the merit of that Amuna, that would have been the schus for them. That even though they were not worthy, they would become worthy. That's what the Shemi Shmuel adds. But the Chavetz Chaim continues. It says, and then Kolev silenced the people. He silenced the people. How did he silence the people? Rosh says, he says, and is that all that Moshe Rabbeinu did? They think, oh, he's going to say a little bit more Yetzirah to beef up their case. But of course, what happened is that Kolev switched on them. He said, you know what else? You know what else Moshe did? He split the sea. He brought the mun down. He brought the slav, the quails. And the question is, why did he bring those examples? So the answer, the Chavaz Chaim says, is it was Kalev telling them, you're right, if, if God will only give us things if we deserve it, if we deserve it, we would never, should never have had the sea split for us. We didn't have the merits. As remember, the Medjur says, the prosecuting angel says, how are the Jews different than the Egyptians? They both worship idols. So you see, and that's what it says in Tehillim, we rebelled at the sea, but Hashem still helped us. And with the man, before Hashem brought the man, we were complaining. And before the water, we were complaining. And all these issues where we were complaining about Hashem, and it's slav, especially we were complaining. But yet, even though we're not worthy, you see Hashem has in the past taken care of us. So you, you don't have to worry. If So obviously now Hashem can make a miracle even if we are not worthy. But of course, the spies would not let him get away with that. And they said, no, we're not able to ascend. Not only can't enter the land of Israel, we can't even get to the border of Israel, where Amalek and the Negev and the others are in other areas outside of Israel. Because they are stronger than Hashem. What do you mean stronger than Hashem? The answer is only strong Hashem because they feel Hashem only gives us what we deserve. And if we, do, if we don't deserve it, it weakens Hashem's ability. And since we're great sinners from the ego and the meat and the complaining, so Hashem will not be able to do these great miracles for us. And then the Torah says they spread the Lashonar in the land. Because when they saw that the Jews were, were now undecided, because Kalev said some good things and this and that, so they got to, you know, kind of seal the deal. So they say, and you know what? The atmosphere is bad. It's not good for your health. Weak people cannot... Uh, live there. You got to be only strong people, strong people physically and spiritually. It's a very holy land, the land that Hashem is looking all the time. And one who sins in Eretz Yisrael is worse than one who sins outside of Eretz Yisrael. And we saw the giants, and we were like little grasshoppers. 
to make it even harder. And therefore, uh, when we're going to come, and, and we were afraid, and if you're going to come, you're going to be afraid too. And therefore, the people cried out, and as Rashi says, it was the Sanhedrin. And really, it's interesting. There's another big HR. The greater a person is and knows how great he is, he's great enough to know that he's not so great. Right? When we say in the davening, Hello, kola giborim, kain lefanecha. All the great warriors are nothing before you. Francia Hashem and people a great name, Kalohoy is not like they're there, etc., etc. A person who is great can have this false humility that is very destructive. And therefore, when the Miraglim show that, you know, we've had some problems, people believe this completely. Then, of course, Yeshua and Kolev, they ripped their garments. And, if, and they said, and they said, the land that Hashem gave us, the land is Tova Ha'aretz Ma'od Ma'od. What did they mean? They said, the fact that you have said this, uh, cast aspersions on the land that the atmosphere is bad, we passed by it too. And we looked at our eyes and we found it to be very good. And if you want to say the land is only going to be given to those who are at Sadiqim, here's the critical response. He says, Im bono Hashem, if Hashem wants us, He will bring us into this land. But ach Hashem al timrodu. But do not rebel against Hashem. Two points are made, and I'll add a little bit also from the Shemishmo, together with the Chavetz Chaim. He says, they have to remember something. In all the relationship Hashem has with us, the core, the core of our relationship from the Kesser, the highest sphere. Hashem did this whole act of creating a world and creating history and all that is for one reason, is to give pleasure to the Jewish people. That is his Ratzon. And that Ratzon must come no matter what. You could have all kinds of rules of engagement, but even the rules are broken, the Ratzon of Hashem can never be changed. And that's why he says, Im Hashem, if Hashem wants us, in spite of our deficiencies, Hashem will do miracles for us, even if we're not deserving. Why? As long as we don't rebel against them. Hashem does not make conditions that you want to be saved only if you're exotic. No, we say like this, I won't save you if you rebel against me. Hashem knows we're human. Hashem knows we're afraid. Hashem knows this. But don't rebel. What does rebel mean? To not to listen to Hashem. You may have every logical reason to be afraid. I hear everything you're saying. But do me one thing. Don't rebel against me. You could be scared. I get it. But have a Muna. That if you have the Muna that Hashem wants to keep his word, it's Hashem that Hashem wants to do. So just don't rebel. As long as you don't rebel. Hashem loves you and Hashem will do miracles for you. If you have faith in that, because after all, we are his children. And as long as a person does not rebel and we follow what Hashem wants, we can expect good to happen. And you're afraid of the giants? All these big people, what do they say? They're like our bread. They don't have any Dmus Elohim anymore. So Chavaz Khan gives a nice marshal. Let's say you have a, a challah 
that's 700 pounds and it's huge and you want to cross its path, are you afraid of it? You afraid of a 700 pound bagel? Go in there and just chop it up. So you say, you see these giants? They're like a big bagel. They're lachmeno. They don't have the image of Hashem. And we're going to eat them up, so to speak. But you got to not rebel against Hashem. And that's what really happened at the end of the day when Yeshua came. Everybody was really afraid. The enemy was afraid. This is the real story that happened. To summarize, the Jewish people, they, they did not feel Hashem couldn't give them the victory. They felt they weren't worthy of the victory. And why would they felt they weren't worthy? Because the HR helps you focus on all your failures and not on your successes when it comes to something important. And therefore, when uh, they're looking at the situation, if they have complete faith in Hashem, then they're seeing everything is good. It's a great land. Hashem really loves us. But if you feel you're not worthy, then you look at everything that's great and look at that as a concern, as a deficiency. Now, this speaks volumes about people who are thinking about going to Eretz Yisrael, etc., etc., to making Aliyah. We have to just be honest with what our thoughts are. If we have reasons to not go, what are the real reasons? Is it possible that these reasons are reasons that we think we're not able to, we're not worthy, we're not capable? People have to ask themselves these questions, but even if you're not making Aliyah, says the Chavetz Chaim, it is where he brings home the message. He says, how does this apply to us? So let's ask a few simple questions. Let's say a person comes over to you and says, do you believe in the great reward that awaits people who study Torah and the great reward that's destined and waiting in the next world for those who do his mitzvahs? What is your answer? Do you believe or not? If you don't believe, then I'm not, I have nothing to talk to you about you know, we're not speaking the same language. But most of you are listening. You do believe that there is a reward in the world to come. For what? Not for watching hockey games. Not for watching movies. You get rewarded for learning Torah, doing mitzvahs, doing chesed, doing all kinds of spiritual things. So if you believe all that, are you putting all your effort into those activities? Are you really kovea itim la Torah? Are you maximizing how much Torah you can learn? Are you maximizing going to shul and davne? Are you maximizing the mitzvahs that you're doing? Because if you believe that there is this great world to come and the only enjoyment is going to come by doing all the mitzvahs, so are you perhaps a little bit lax in that? And now what becomes the answer? The answer is, you know what? That's true, but that world to come is really for the real spiritual people, the very unique people who they learn Torah night and day and they don't sleep very much and they go through the 48 ways to wisdom and they're mamish sublime people. They get all these things. But I'm not worthy. Just like the spies to go to Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is just a harbinger for Mashiach. Eretz Yisrael is just comparable to Elam Haba in a certain way. And just like the spies did not want to go into Eretz Yisrael because they felt we're not worthy. 
Many of us feel we're not worthy for Olam Haba. And therefore, just like the Sai said, let's just stay in the desert. So you say, let me just stay in this world and focus in this world, and I don't know how much I'm going to get in the next world. And that is a fundamental error. Because Hashem is not obliging you to learn Torah all day and all night and not be involved in Parnassah or not being involved in ways of taking care of your health. Hashem says live your life in a normal way. But remember two important rules. The first two questions on the final exam. Did you deal in business with honesty and did you set up times for Torah? Those are the questions. And with all the other mitzvahs, of course, you know, Hashem wants you to do them. But uh, you just do them. Just don't rebel against Hashem. Don't push away with your hand mitzvahs. Like in this week's Parsha, the simple mitzvah of tzitzis. Is it so hard to put on tzitzis? It doesn't take any effort. Just put them on. And you're getting mitzvahs by the bucket loads, putting on tefillin, all these issues. As long as you don't rebel against the king. And if you don't rebel, you can count on the miraculous conclusion of being an oil haba. This is a tremendous message. And it, it's interesting. One of the great uh, rabbis Ask the question. So afterwards, so they're all afraid to go. They're all afraid to go. Then after they hear the message that they're not going to be able to go and they're punished, then a certain group says, okay, now we're going to go. <laughs> and Moshe says, don't go. Now the obvious question is, wait a minute. They're all afraid to go. They're afraid. So now why weren't they afraid to go now? And Moshe says, Hashem's not with you. You won't succeed. Why are they not afraid? You know what the answer is? I forgot who said the answer. It just slips my mind. I'm sure some of you will remember who says this answer. I said, you know what? When it's a mitzvah, then the HR makes you afraid. If it's not a mitzvah, then you're not afraid. <laughs> That's how the Yetzirah works. When it's a mitzvah and you're told to go, oh, no, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. But all of a sudden, we're not going. We're not going. And it's not a mitzvah? Then the Yetzirah says, why should I make him afraid? I did my job already. Let him not be afraid and let him get wiped out. Oy vavoy, we have to be so careful about this Sahara. But just remember, don't rebel. Don't sell yourself short. And let me end. This fort was from the Chavetz Chaim. Let's share a story that peripherally deals with the Chavetz Chaim. In the village of Radin a century ago, a tragic accident took the lives of Rav Tzvi Hirsch Levinson's sister and her husband, who had led an entirely irreligious life. It was very interesting in the 1900s, get a from family, some were from and some just went off. Now it's getting reversed, secular families, and some become from. But in those days, Rav Tzvi Hirsch Levinson was a kosh of a yid. Son-in-law of the Chavetz Chaim. His sister was completely secular and her husband. They had an entirely religious life, the sister and brother-in-law. And they died tragically. So Rav Tzvi who's the son of the Chavetz Chaim, didn't know what to do. There was an orphaned nephew 
Who should take care of him? So after thinking it over, Rav and Rebetzin left Levinstein, Levinson, they realized they had no choice. They went to their nephew, a young boy, was so overwhelmed with the loss of his parents, he couldn't stop crying. They tried to comfort him as much as possible under the circumstances. They packed up his belongings and brought him and all that he owned to their house. And they were to adopt him. So when he came into the house, his aunt and uncle offered him the choice of whatever room he wanted to sleep in. So he chose a room that reminded him most of his old bedroom. And they did their utmost to try to match the decor of the new bedroom to the old bedroom. Anything to help. But the problem was the child knew very little about Yiddishkeit. And it wasn't his fault. His parents never taught him. And there could not have been a greater disparity between the Levinson's lifestyle and the lifestyle that he knew. He doesn't know anything. And in his new home, uh, there would be no secular studies whatsoever because the Chavaz Chaim did not allow from people to have secular studies. It was a drastic change. And the Levinson's knew they had to be overly sensitive to this traumatized and fragile child. They tried to bring him along slowly with Chumash and Mishnayis, but with little background the young boy rejected all of it. There's just no interest or no comprehension. Maybe one led to the other. And also the child was still so distraught, he couldn't stop crying. Now, as we said, although learning secular subjects was considered taboo and completely foreign to Rodin, but Sviush understand that to stop the nephew's cries, some kind of accommodation had to be made. And those were highly extenuating circumstances and if we weren't careful they could truly damage his psyche so Rav Tzvi Hirsch took the unconventional measure of hiring a tutor to teach the nephew some basic general studies which was just foreign at that time in Rat. hoping that these sessions would calm him down give him a sense of familiarity normalcy better self-esteem <coughs> and of course as things would be Someone in the village caught wind of what was going on and took the liberty of telling a friend who told two more people, who spread the word, the whole town finds out about it. And the town of Radin becomes a hotbed of controversy. How could the Chavetz Chaim's son-in-law bring someone into his house to teach secular studies? How hypocritical! Chavetz Chaim represented unyielding, uncompromising loyalty to matters of Kedusha. How could he possibly lie allow his son-in-law to do this. So the naysayers denounced Reb Tzvi behavior and brought their displeasure to the attention of the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim dismissed their concerns and said, if my son-in-law arranged for this tutor to come to his house to teach his nephew, then I trust him. He must have had his reasons. Now, many, many years passed. And the Chafetz Chaim's daughter, Rebetzin Fega Sachs, moved to America. Many, many years now. At one of her grandchildren's weddings, as the great-grandchild of Chafetz Chaim, a modern-looking fellow approached her and asked if he could tell his story to her. She had no idea who he was, but graciously invited him to sit down and share the tale. He said, I know you don't recognize me, but I'm the nephew of your brother-in-law, Rav Hirsch Levinson. And he and your sister are the ones who raised me and I feel an obligation to tell you my life story. So Robinson Sachs was shocked. Although she remembered him, she hadn't seen him in decades. 
So he says, this is my story. He says, many years ago, the townsville of Radin came to the home of your father, Chavetz Chaim, to complain that his son-in-law was allowing me to be tutored in general study subject. And he understood that he dismissed them uh, from their claims. But after they left his home, he troubled himself to visit his son-in-law in the middle of the night. And he arrived at his home to discuss the issue with him. And the Chavetz Chaim told my uncle that he knows that he's a giant of an individual. And everything he does is L'Shem Shemaim. But for the sake, right? But still, just give me your reasoning. I'm not questioning you. Just tell me what was your reasoning for it. And it's here, she explained the trauma that the young fellow was in. He told him how difficult it was for me to acclimate to the lifestyle. The toll it was taking on him emotionally. He saw that the time I spent with the secular studies tutor gave me his comfort. And though he knew his actions would be severely criticized, he allowed it. The Chavetz Chaim listened to his explanation and praised my uncle. Ah, but what the two of them did not know was that I had woken up in the middle of the night and from my bed I was able to overhear the entire conversation. And until this very day, when I remember that discussion, I get goosebumps thinking about two of the greatest Torah giants of their generation, upon whose shoulders the entire world stood, who did nothing else all day other than occupy themselves with Torah study, and these fellows were worried about my future and what was good for me. Now who was I? A nobody. A little orphaned, irreligious boy. But I could hear the heartache and anguish in their voices. I couldn't believe that they were so concerned and were spending so much time talking about me. And that gave me an incredible sense of encouragement and hope. It lifted my spirits and infused me with life. And at that moment, while lying in the bed, I thought to myself, there's nothing like this in the world. The two greatest people putting everything else on hold to worry about the tears of an orphaned boy. He continued telling the story to Rebbitz and Zaks. He says, when I grew older, I was drafted into the Russian army. And though I never really took to the religious practices of my aunt and uncle, but certain traditions have become part of my life. I learned about Shabbos and Yontif, and even after I joined the army, I made a commitment to never desecrate either one. And there was one more thing that I promised myself, that under no circumstances would I marry a non-Jewish girl. Nothing would change my mind about that. It was an ironclad decision. I intended to keep it come what may. But after years of loneliness, I met a non-Jewish girl and I began to strongly consider marrying her. But whenever I entertained the notion, I replayed in my mind the conversation that took place so many years earlier. I remembered hearing the agony in their voices and how much my tears and my unhappiness troubled them. I was important to them. And so I couldn't take that final step. They'll be cutting my branch off of the beautiful tree. My children will not be part of this beloved nation. And all that indecision wore away at me and I didn't know what to do. And who could help me at this moment? One person came to mind, of course. My aunt, Rebetzin Levinson. She'd be the one to guide me. I went back to my hometown in Rad, and I came to her home, and I poured out my heart to her. And as I know, as you know, the Rebetzin, who's your sister, 
was the one who raised me and invested so much time in my life. Her husband had already passed away while he was a young man. She listens to my story and I was she was patient and understood as always. After I presented my dilemma, she looked at me and told me that under no circumstances can I go ahead with it. And as soon as she said it, I knew she was right and they decided to break off that relationship forever. So now this emotional fellow, he's standing before Rebus and Zach's. The story's over, but had one final declaration to make. Even today, I know very little, but the thread that connects me to my people will never be broken. I will never ever forsake the Jewish nation. Nation, I know that my core, I'm a good boy. My cries mean something. They are valued. So thank you for allowing me to share my story. I just want you to know how much it means that your father and your brother-in-law cared so much. Rabbi Isai, if the Chavetz Chaim, Rabbi Levinson, cares so much about a secular boy, can you imagine how much Hashem cares about us? And how Hashem wants us to be an oil of Abba. And that's his only wish, is we should be an oil of Abba. And we need to be encouraged that we're not failures. And that we're capable of getting into oil of Abba. But remember, just don't rebel against Hashem. Don't sell yourself short. Don't be overly humble. And don't let it be a a self uh, what, what, what do you call it? Uh, uh, I can't remember the word now. Self fulfilling prophecy. Hashem cares about each and every one of us, even in Parsha Shlach, even after the great sins we've done. But we've done tshuva, and we're capable of things that we think maybe we're not capable of. If we have a moon in Hashem, the merit of the amuna, and to say I'm going to try harder to be more successful in studying Torah, to be more honest in business, to keep Hashem's mitzvahs, and just not to rebel. Then you got the keys to everything. Then you can go to Eretz Yisrael, go to Olam Haba. And if there's enough people who really believe that, the Mashiach will come. Bimheru of Yameinu, Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Have an amazing Shabbos.